Welcome once again to the Irish in Sweden podcast, my friends. My name is Philip O'Connor and I'm in my little studio here in Sankt Elixplan uh, in Stockholm. And the snow is melting away, leaving big dirty pools of water and what the Swedes call schlask outside the door. It's absolutely miserable out there. It's January. It's a bit dark. It's late afternoon as I'm putting the last touches to this, what I think is a wonderful podcast this week. And you know what makes it wonderful, lads? It's not me. It's nothing to do with me. It's all to do with the stories that people are telling me this week as I went around the place. And I know, I think it was Carrie Cook who said to me, yeah, I love listening to the the podcast every week, Phil. But as soon as you mention sport, I just tune out altogether, right? And there's been a lot of sport lately and that kind of thing. But this week, we are dedicated to the performing arts, right? I've had so many conversations this week that there's actually going to be a bonus podcast in the middle of the week because uh, everybody is coming out of hibernation. The Christmas is over and things are starting to happen. So over the course of the last week, I'll tell you exactly what you can expect now, right? Over the course of the last week, I have been speaking to the wonderful people from Spuds and Sill, led by director Grace O'Malley, who is getting a, a cast and crew together to put on a production of a play called Canaries. And then after that, we're going to hear from Ged Graham. And Ged is the man behind the Seven Drunken Nights show, which is coming to Stockholm for four dates in early February. Uh, you'll remember, I think, I think it was somebody in the Irish group in Gothenburg. God almighty, who was it down there? Was it Adrian Kelly? Maybe might have put it up there. And people were wonder what it is. So we went off and it took us long enough with the old Christmas break and that kind of thing. But I finally got hold of Ged there on the way to the theatre in Finland where the tour is kicking off at the moment. So we're in Finland first and then in Denmark and then they're going to be coming up to us here in Sweden and there's a few dates there. And then last night as I'm talking to you now I sat down with the great Brian O'Connor and this is Brian is from Limerick. Tremendous singer, guitar player. A troubadour is the word that it's used to describe him in Swedish and uh, you'll actually hear him mention it during the interview that we did uh, about what he does and how he presents the music that he plays to people here and it's not just you know going into a pub and sort of singing songs that's there's a lot more to it than that really in terms of the Swedish entertainment tradition and it's something that I did myself when I moved over here and Brian and Lockie and, and many others have been involved in over the years so that's um what you're going to get on the podcast this week. So it's great to have a situation whereby we have such great creativity in, in the community, both from the Spuds and Seal point of view, from the drama, and also from the music. And then the heritage of Irish music uh, in the form of the Dubliners, the Seven Drunken Nights, obviously you can tell from uh, the name of the show. It's a sort of a history of the Dubliners. And I'm really, really looking forward to seeing it because in the course of uh, trying to find out what I needed to find out for this podcast, I've seen a few bits on YouTube and that really does look look amazing and then speaking again as well he took me through the uh, the whole production and that kind of thing uh, if this is your first time listening to the podcast right um, this comes out every week on a Monday morning at 7 o'clock or as close as possible depending because I work a lot with sports and sometimes my weekends can disappear without me even noticing and it's for you so if you're in business if you're in academia if you're in sport if you're doing anything whatsoever if you have any sort of a hobby I want to know about it if you've opened a restaurant or a bar in the Arctic Circle get on to me um, it's all about creating community here in Stockholm in Sweden in in Yavla in Malmö in, in Gothenburg and it's all about using this then as a platform to bring us all together right 
Uh, it's great if you can support the podcast, patreon.com forward slash Arrowman in Stockholm. Throw in a five a month there, and uh, that will help keep the lights and the microphones on here. And if you want to, you can swish a few bob, right? Uh, swish is the payment app. It's kind of like what uh, Revolut is used for in Ireland. One two three two four two four one six six. That's one two three two four two four one six six, and that will go in there. And Julia, my wonderful accountant, will pay all the taxes and make sure that everything's sorted out there. So it's uh, all kept above board. You don't be on the wrong side of Scathavakit in this country, lads. Holy Jesus, you get yourself in awful trouble altogether. If you think the revenue commissioners in Ireland are as bad, oh my God. So let us get into it, right? So this is, um, I'm not going to say there are a couple of shorter interviews. Uh, I certainly, Grace and Ged from uh, Seven Drunken is a little bit shorter. We will be returning to Spuds and Sale as we go along, right? Because Grace sent me a message on Instagram and she said there's a part in this play which is called Canaries and she'll explain a little bit more about it because I think it'll be perfect for you. We went, hang on a second here, lads. I don't really know if, uh, you know, don't mind being behind the microphone, but up on the stage, nah, my, my days of doing that kind of thing, I thought were behind me. And then Grace convinced me to go along and should we read a few different parts. And we might go back next Monday and you never know, you might see me taking part in it, you know. But um, in one way, I really do want to sort of take part in the play and I want to sort of follow the whole journey of it and, you know, make a few little recordings and maybe we'll bring you a longer episode dedicated, like a little mini documentary dedicated to the whole thing in due course. But listen, all things in good time, right? Let us get the introduction from Grace O'Malley about what the play is, uh, how it's being put on, and how she's going to, to pull it all together. So here she is now, the director, a wonderful pro- professional actor and director and writer in her own right, taking part in our amateur dramatic society, supposed to still the theatre wing of the Swedish Irish Society, if you will. Here she is, Grace. Grace O'Malley, we have had the first read-throughs for Spuds and Sill so far this year. Um, how has this evening been for you? I was really excited to be here and a little bit nervous because you never know what you're signing yourself up for, but it went really well and I'm just so happy that so many people came along with an open mind and so many yes-sayers. Everyone I asked, everyone a question and no matter what I said, everybody said, yeah, no problem, I'll do it and that's really what you want. Tell us about the play that's going to be put on this year. Was it you that chose it? Was it chosen by committee? No, you, you can't do that in Sweden. You have to choose it by committee. Don't you? The committee has to choose. It is a Swedish committee after all, but it's uh, it's called the Canaries and it's about a group of people that go on holiday and just the most unlikely things happen and it's a type of holiday that you're not going to forget in a long time. It's, it's great crack. Lots of fun little roles and characters that people can just escape their busy work lives from and just have a bit of crack and play. Um, this is a bit different because you obviously have a background in theatre. Basically, the only person in the room who knows what she's doing, right? No, no, no. I think there was a, there were a couple here tonight now that felt like they had some background in theatres. Yeah. yeah. Well, there did seem to be like you know in amateur dramatics and that kind of thing, people who had some experience of that. How hard is it, you know, to put these things together in an expat community with limited resources, all that kind of thing? Did you because you were involved last year, and I seem to remember most people going never again, never again, never again, uh-huh. and six months later they go, oh, let's do it. I think every year everyone apparently comes out of it saying I'm not doing that again. But the after party makes up for it massively, <laughs> and time is a great healer. Um, and you know you 
face the Swedish winter again and you're like, what the feck am I going to do for three more months of winter? And then this pops up and it's the perfect timing to get you out of your house one evening a week and with a bunch of people and just doing something creatively. When you sit there as the director and you're sort of throwing out lines to people and asking them to read as characters and that kind of thing, what's going through your mind? Because before we press record here, we we're talking about how hard this business can be. You can't do that when people are giving freely of their time and themselves. Uh, would you be tempted to say, what the hell was that? Or do you have to try, to try to find sort of softer words for those things? No, because my opinion isn't necessarily right. So everything is subjective. So the way I see a character could be completely turned on its head by someone reading it. And I'm like, ah, oh, they brought a totally different thing to it that I never saw before. And they are dead right. So it's really just about trying on clothing and like trying on personalities and seeing if this one fits or, oh, they read that. So that means they saw that in that person, which I completely missed. And they're bringing that to the table. So everyone connects with these people differently and can show you different sides of the characters that might work better than the one you had originally thought of. So as a director, you can obviously steer things when you feel like it's going wrong, but I also like to give actors the freedom to play with it and not always do it the same way. Because as an actor myself, I love to play and do it one way and then be like told, oh, why don't you try it like she's angry or why don't you try it like she's really thirsty? So it's fun to just try things on and see what fits. Take me through the process now. Tonight was the first read-throughs, right? You know, we'll all have grey hair by the end of yeah. this, right? We're sitting in the middle of January. When is the performance taking place and what do you have to do every week to get it over the line so that it's fit to be put on stage? Yeah, so it, it's going to be put on in May. So we've got three and a half months and it's only meeting every Monday for an uh, two hours. So it's like when you look at a production that's on the West End or in one of the national theatres in Ireland or any theater, any professional production, they probably have three months full-time work going into this. 40 hours a week. Yeah, like sometimes, some productions are less, some are more, but definitely full-time, eight to 12 weeks minimum. Um, so it's a huge commitment from the guy. Like if, they, if the actors come to me every week without their script learned and we're coming up to April, we're coming up to that's like we're, we're screwed the more the better people are at having their script learned the more work we can put in and the more we can do so it's really I'm it's a very much like we have to trust each other and because it no one's getting paid they're all giving up their free time everyone has lives to deal with so you just have to hope and trust each other that we're all going to put in the time needed to make it an awesome show yeah. So it'll be one rehearsal week now and then coming towards the actual event itself might go up to two rehearsals yeah. and then there's dress rehearsals and yeah. there's tech rehearsals and all this kind of thing. Yeah. Um, what do you expect the finished product to look like from what you've seen now, these, uh, the green shoots that you would have seen here this evening? I think it's going to be really, really fun. And there was a lot of talent here this evening. So not that I'm so surprised, but it's the first time I think in a while that we have too many people for the parts in the show. Um, so we can actually pick, <laughs> we have a bit of a choice and everyone seems really enthusiastic and eager. So I think it's going to be great fun and people are going to feel like it's better to feel like they've been chosen rather than they've had to do this as a favor. Yeah, yeah. So, the last one left for no line. Exactly. Oh, the, they didn't need, they didn't have a part. So I feel that part this time. We're like, we picked you because you're right for this and we really want you on our team. So I think that's going to give people an extra boost going into us. Is there anything that Spuds and Sill need? Do you need money? Do money, you need money, 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 money. They will say that they're like, they've come up with this themselves and they've done 
amazing work. Like they've worked the committee. The committee. Yeah. yeah, they've worked really hard. It's really hard to set up an amateur group and get people to trust in you and come along and buy your tickets and buy your yeah. tickets and get involved. So they've done an amazing job. But now I think they could take it up a notch. Like there are the more that they're doing this, the more people that we're seeing coming out of the woodworks that are like, oh, this is the only English-speaking theater group I could find in Stockholm, and I miss the theater so much, I just want to be involved. And these are Americans, Swedes, English, Irish. It's not just Irish people, it's people from everywhere. So if they had some money and they could take this up a notch, get a couple of paid things in there, like a costume sets, designers, a, a couple of things. It doesn't have to be crazy, but it would really take it up a notch to the next level. Right, so any sponsors out there who listen to this, get your hands in your pockets, lads. And for you, Percy, because um, you're doing this on an amateur level as well, what else are you up to in your career at the moment? I'm writing a play about my grandmother and her work as a peace activist in Ireland in the 1970s. Um, the, she founded the Peace and Reconciliation Centre in Glencree, and they are turning 50 this year. So to celebrate that, we're putting on a play with, I have an amazing team, mentor Colin Murphy, and a director, Connell Morrison, and producer Hugh Farrell, who are all on the team with me, and we're going to put on a reading in Glencree this summer. That is a whole other podcast. Yeah. But for now, Grace O'Malley, thanks very much. And we will keep up with your progress over the coming weeks. Do. I hope you'll be joining us live. Look at how your people talk to very people. That's all I'll say in the matter. There you go. That was the magical Grace O'Malley there. And what Grace O'Malley wants in terms of theatre, Grace O'Malley gets. So uh, we'll have to have my negotiations there and we'll see how we turn up on it and that kind of thing. Um, as I say, lots going on in the community. Those of you who are involved in the Stockholm Gales will have seen an absolutely brilliant newsletter put out there by Michelle Cotter, the new chairperson of the Stockholm Gales. And we're really, really lucky in the GAA in this country and in this region and outside of Ireland in general, right? Because we have some absolutely brilliant people who take part in these committees and who help us put uh, the games together and the tournaments together and that kind of thing. And Michelle and her committee came in at the end of last year. And what's really interesting about this newsletter, lads, is how inclusive it is, right? And by that I mean... It's not just aimed at the members or the players or the sponsors. It's aimed at everybody. And it has a message there from the ambassador. And it has, like, you know, it's a real sort of broad and a very brave thing to do, it has to be said as well. And I don't know now um, where Michelle sent it to. I don't know what the the, so the list of uh, addressees was like. But I think an awful lot of people in the community will have got it who weren't previously involved in the Stockholm Games. And if I didn't, if, if they didn't, I really hope they do get to see it because it's tremendous altogether. And it does, it's very generously lifts this podcast as well which I'm very grateful for and I'm really hoping that there's a load of new listeners tuning in for the first time so congratulations to Michelle and the gang on that as soon as we have an idea of uh, what's going to be happening in terms of fixtures and that I know there's discussions going on in the Nordic Committee at the moment about when the tournaments are going to take place and that you know I want to see as much football and hurling and camogie as possible that's the way it's always been with me I would be out every Saturday uh, playing Gaelic football or playing hurling or camogie if I had the chance I know that's not feasible but you know what there's a few ideas knocking around the place now and we do have you know clubs that are within sort of driving distance you know Malmo are only a couple of hours down the coast from Gothenburg and of course they're only across the bridge then from uh, from Copenhagen and that and we ourselves here you have uh, I think you have a field of two teams one was wearing a jersey with Sandviken on the back the last time we played up there and ourselves in Stockholm we did a great thing with the girls a few years ago uh, the girls of the Stockholm game. and in fact it was just after Michelle Cotter moved here to Stockholm that we got on the boat so we got we had a great night on the boat over 
over to Helsinki and then we played football against them all day the Helsinki Harps our good friends over there and then we did an even better night on the boat on the way back so that's one of those things I'd love to see the, both the men's and the women's team doing again and I really hope that the opportunity comes up uh, for us to do those things because it's all down to getting you know as many play, people playing as possible and playing as much as possible and you know what have that in mind now as you go to work and you go to college and you go to school right if your mom and dad are Irish and you're going to one of the English schools or whatever you're going to gymnasiums you know the further removed from our our community these people are the better right so we're going to bring people into our community to play Gaelic football and to play for Ireland and to play Camogie right so even if you look at that person and that's oh there's Svenny Svensson there has no idea what this crack is about at all lads right bring him along bring her along bring anybody along and just get them to try it out and then you know when we get them down there we'll just show them this this warmth and this sense of competition and crack and all that kind of thing and we'll show them the basic skills and we get them involved and who knows we'll have a few Nordic all-stars in there for life would be the way certainly that I hope it goes because we've had a few people join us over the years there's a lad who used to play football, I think, for Geis, uh, the soccer club down in Gothenburg. Dog, I think his name was. And he played a couple of seasons, two, three, four seasons. And, you know, people come and go and that kind of thing. But it's great to see Swedish people getting involved who don't really have any connection to our community other than maybe a friend who plays Gaelic games. So let's keep that in mind as we go forward. Right, if you want to talk about history and about culture and that kind of thing, one of the things that always springs to mind when we talk to people in Irish bars, when we talk about music and Irish music in particular, is the Dubliners. So when it arose that the Seven Drunken Nights show was coming to Stockholm and to Malmo and Helsingborg and to Gothenburg, not in that order, lads. You'll have to look up the order now and we'll include it in the show notes. I thought, I have to get in touch with these lads. And as I said, the old Christmas break put a, a spanner in the works. We couldn't really get hold of getting the team there. But we eventually got them anyway, uh, just as they were arriving in Helsinki to the theatre where they're going to be putting on the show now, uh, tonight as I'm speaking to you. And then after a few shows in Finland, they're going to be moving down to Denmark and then it's our turn, right? So first up is Malmö, and then it's uh, Helsingborg, which is only a stone's throw away, and then it's up to Gothenburg, and then it's up to us here in Stockholm. So as I say, I'll include the link to the show notes, and if you're part of the Irish in Sweden WhatsApp community, right? I started the Irish in Sweden WhatsApp community, and we have a four, I think it's four different groups there. So we've one for sport, there's one for business, there's one for events, and there's one for, I think it's music and culture, music and literature or something is the name of it, right? So you can join this the general Irish and Sweden community, and I dump the link to this podcast in there every week. But not that you need reminded, lads, because I know it's 7 o'clock in the morning, you have the alarm set every Monday morning to listen. I get that, that's grand, right? Uh, so I put that in there, but then you can join the group. So if, like Carrie Cook, you're not that interested in sport, don't bother joining that group, and you won't get those messages. But if you're interested in events, and if you're interested in music and that kind of thing absolutely join those groups and you'll find out about it and on occasion it's a good idea because sometimes people will tell me about gigs or that kind of thing where there's early bird tickets or you might get you know a bit of a heads up before hosers come into town so that you're ready and on the button when the tickets do come out right so it is definitely worth joining that whatsapp uh committee or sorry that whatsapp community not the whatsapp committee jesus the last thing we want is another committee on whatsapp but um yeah so do join in that now as i said talk to get about that drop the link into uh the irish and sweden 
Sweden music and enter sorry music and culture group and that kind of thing so you'll find that in there I know Carl Lambert struggled a little bit in the order of his tickets I hope that sorted itself out now but so we got on the phone to him and it's just I think actually when the phone calls started right uh, he was uh, Ged was in the back of a van because like this is not like you know your standards at a band where you know myself and Brian O'Connor and a few others were touring up like you know uh, this is a big big production you know as you'll hear from Ged and so he's in the back of the van and they were winding their way to the theatre in Helsinki when he decided he was going to check in with the Irish and Sweden podcast and tell us what the Seven Drunken Nights show is all about and sure here he is Graham, you've just landed in Helsinki. You're just going to the venue for the what I hope is the first of some very successful shows here in Scandinavia with Seven Drunken Nights. Could you just tell us how the show came about and how it came to Scandinavia? Yeah, well, it, it came about uh, following uh, the Dubliners decided to retire the name in 2012. Um, when they decided that, I've been a Dubliners fan all my life, brought up in Dublin, moved to Manchester when I was a young lad. And uh, when the opportunity came up to sort of to, think about putting a show together about the Dubliners I was uh, you know really excited by the prospect so I spent a couple of years working on it and we debuted in 2017 in the UK and Ireland and uh, we've been touring now for the last seven years and uh, here we are in Scandinavia we've done tours in Norway uh, for the last three years and we've been looking for expanding into the rest of the Scandinavian country. So, yeah, here we are in uh, the first uh, show in Finland. Then we move on to Denmark and then on to Sweden for the last leg of the tour later on in the year and in the next couple of weeks. It's fantastic altogether. What format does the show take? Is it the story of the Dubliners? Is it a different story that you're trying to tell? Or is it basically just the music of the Dubliners get? No, oh no, it's the story of the Dubliners. So what we do is we try to put all of the songs into context. So we start off with the um, a recreation of the Late Late Show special in 2012 when they've done the last appearance as the Dubliners. And then we go back in time to old Donahue's in 1962. And then we work through a staged concert of all of the songs and all of the landmark moments in the career, like being on top of the pops in 1967, working with Phil Coulter, uh, all of those kind of landmark uh, periods of their development and the fantastic 50-year career. So, yeah, it's, it, and we tell the story from, yeah, that 50 years, from 1962 to 2012. And what's your role in the whole lot? Because uh, you're a man with a grand big beard. If your WhatsApp picture's out to go by, you look like uh, Ronnie Drew might have got a few beard and tips off you as well. <laughs> I think he could have done. I couldn't do that. Get a few tips off. Uh, could have done get some tips off Ronnie on how to keep the, uh, the, the beard sane. <laughs> a bit insane at the moment but uh yeah I, i'm the narrator and the writer i wrote the show and i narrate the show so i'm the link between uh, the audience and the story so i walk through all the scenes and tell the audience what's going on and and, and hopefully keep it you know uh, light-hearted in the light-hearted moments and somber in the more somber moments but yeah it's my role as the narrator just to take take the story along its uh, its path can you put the Dubliners into context for me again? Because I'm, I'm really conscious of the fact that you're an Irish person who grew up in Manchester as well. So it's going to be of interest to people. Yeah. Where do you see them in this sort of cultural canon? I was only just talking to somebody about Andy Irvine and Planksty and all this other great music yeah. that's coming out of Ireland. But the Dubliners really were a class apart, weren't they? Oh, unbelievable. I mean, their importance to Irish music can never be understated. I mean, if we go back to 1967, you know, uh, Seven Drug Nights banned by. RTA and then picked up by Radio Caroline 
1967, five hairy blokes of Dublin singing in Irish Dublin accents were on top of the pops. Now, 1967 was Flower Power, Psychedelia, The Beatles, Sgt. Pepper, Jimi Hendrix, and yet you had these authentic folk singers singing in their own accents uh, on top of the pops and on the airwaves throughout England and around the rest of the world. Now, if you were an Irish person living in uh, living in England at the time, to hear your own people speaking in their own language was unheard of. Thing. So culturally, it was a huge, huge thing. And it opened the doors for every other Irish artist that came after them, you know, from uh, Tin Lizzy through to you too. Yeah. Uh, uh, so it's, it, um, the significance is hugely important. When yeah. we came to England in 1970, one of the few possessions that we carried over on the boat from uh, Ireland to England was my dad with his uh, uh, long players, his albums under his arm, yeah. his precious sort of music. And one of those albums was uh, a drop of the hard stuff by the Dubliners. So that, that came with us and that was played every week at his Sunday sessions in the house. And we were brought up on that music and it became very, very significant to us growing up to have that link, that musical link back to Ireland. Mm. And the Dublin, and certainly for Dublin people, was that link. And a, a great sense of pride, you know, mm. great sense of pride in hearing your music being played and accepted by, uh, you know, by by people across the world. So hugely important to me. Mm. They were unusual as well, Geddon, that they had two iconic singers. First was Luke Kelly and then Ronnie Drew sort of stepped out of his shadow a little bit and took over once Luke left, you know. Do you have, and I hate to put you on the spot here, Paul, but do you have a preference for an era that you're, that's your favourite? Is there uh, one that shades it for you? Oh, no, not really, because the two such, you know, just... It's like trying to choose between John Lennon or Paul McCartney. You can't, you know. Yeah, or picking your favourite child of your own kind of thing. It's like, that's just yeah, not fair. You, you could, you, it's just not fair. I mean, for me, Luke Kelly is perhaps the greatest soul singer ever to be, uh, you know, ever to grace this earth. I mean, he stands, as far as a soul singer is concerned, somebody who sings deeply from the inside of the body as a Marvin Gaye or a yeah, Sam Cooke. He, his his place of singing from the soul uh, is so important. I don't think anybody else in Irish music has ever uh, matched where he's at. They just haven't. It's uh, you know, it, his is a unique part in, in in the story of Irish music. Will always be in his voice and how he uh, how he approached the you know the music. Uh, now Ronnie Drew, he was singing urban ballads in a voice that. You know that could have, you couldn't have had things like you know uh, Dicey Riley or you know Seven Drunken Nights without the voice of Ronnie Drew. It was mm. Such an important uh, you know tone and and style. You know th- these are sort of real songs sung by someone who could really put them across and really own them. You know um, I, I couldn't imagine anybody singing Ronnie songs other than Ronnie. Mm. Um, when you look at the politics of the Dubliners, because Luke Kelly is often referred to as a great singer, a great ballad singer, a great folk singer, but he was also very left-wing, very involved in, in or oh. very in favour of the union movement and that kind of thing. Was that an important thing from your perspective when you were in Manchester and in sort of, you know, north western England at that point? Oh, very much so. I mean, you know, the, the trade union movement is very, very important to anybody who's from a working class background anyhow, because, you know, it's a, it, it just is you know that you, you have to have people who were standing up for your for your rights as a worker you know the majority of people who came over from ireland in the 50s and 60s were in the most basic of jobs where unions weren't always there to you know to help and uh, and you know secure safe working environments especially in the building trade i mean mm. the way irish people were treated in the building trade god you know there was no health and safety yeah 
it was uh, you know he was straight into the straight out to the building sites and down a hole. You know, there's no shoring up. There's so so many people killed on building sites, um, and you know the trade unions who fought for better working conditions. You know, are celebrated, mm. um, and I think uh, you know he is a great exponent of the urban ballad and uh, of workers' songs. You know, so mm. great collector. Luke's a very well. very important person. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, I think. I, th- I think politically as well, you know, they were never big in America, mm. uh, the Dubliners. And a lot of that was to do with, you know, Luke, pictures of Luke selling the Daily Star and, uh, mm. you know, the trade union newspapers when he was living in London. Mm. Um, you know, that didn't help with them uh, going over to America. But, you know, he, he stuck to his politics and, uh, you know, good good on him for, for being the man who done that, you know. Indeed. A great, you know, a great person for that. And, uh, you know, a, a wonderful... I, I mean, I'm a huge Luke Kelly fan, but uh, Luke Kelly is, if you were to have a, a model to base yourself on, Luke Kelly, true to his, uh, true to his music, true to his country, true to his his, his musical styles, that he never chose a song that was like, you know, a light-hearted throwaway song. He did lots of funny songs and mm. comedic songs and pop songs, but every song that both him and Ronnie sang were well chosen. You know. Yeah. They were chosen by them to, to be sung. I don't. I think they made some great choices along the way. Yeah, I think th- there was about ten songs since we started talking that have popped into my mind from Paddy on the Road to Hand Me Down Me Bible to all of those things have yeah. all had something to say. Is this a difficult show to put on, Ged? Because I know there's a lot of work goes into the tour like you're doing at the moment. Is there a lot of people involved? Is there a big cast, a big crew, a big stage show to there put is, on? There is. I mean, uh, we just arrived up in the theatre now and there. We're going to set the stage, and we've got a huge um, set. We recreate the interior of uh, O'Donoghue's pub, oh, and then uh, we have a recording studio on set, and there uh, we have the concert uh, part of the the set. Mm. Uh, so yeah, so we have a, a, quite a large crew, uh, and then we've got our uh, six in the cast, and then we've got all our backroom people as well, our marketing people, and. Uh, mm everything else that's involved so yeah i'd say all in all to get the production from the page onto the stage it's about 18 people are involved in the show yeah. so it's a you know it's, it's a big show and uh yeah we we would we're blessed to be able to play all over the you know all over the world as it happens but uh we play some great venues you know some really great venues we're in a beautiful venue today in uh, in finland i <laughs> can't pronounce where we are because I'm terrible. No, like nobody that. can. Nobody can. Well, Not yeah. even the Finns can pronounce no, it. Don't let them fool you, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, look, we're, we're in uh, the Dominion uh, in the West End of London on St. Patrick's Day. Oh, now, who would have thought an, an Irish, you know, an Irish group on St. Patrick's Day at one of the premier theatres in the West End of London? Superb. That's, you know, that, uh, and when I walk on stage and get the chance to sing the songs, I just think of my dad. Yeah, you know, he's passed away now. Think of me, Dad, with his with his drop of the hard stuff album under his arm as we're getting on the Princess Maud, coming out of Dunleary, coming into uh, into Hollyhead in 1970. I think, wow, Dad, you know, there you go, <laughs> there we, you go. We, you we've know? we've come a long there way. The, these shows that are oh, taking place in the shows that are taking place in, in Sweden here again. Where can people see you, and why should they go and see you? Do you think if you had to make the elevator pitch for seeing Seven Drunken Nights here in Sweden, why should people go? Well, just to have a great night out. I mean, there's nothing better across the world. Eighty plus million people who claim Irish heritage celebrate St Patrick's Day. Well, we're bringing St Patrick's Day to you in Sweden in January. You're going to come along. 
you're going to get an authentic experience of Irish music and you're going to go away and forget about your troubles, forget about everything that's going on in the world, all the bad stuff, and you'll have two hours of escapism, listening to some of the best music that's ever been created and created by the Dubliners, and we're great at being able to have the opportunity to uh, to present it. And, uh, yeah, come along and see us. You'll have some great crack. And we'll have a few tears as well. But uh, we, we just have a great night out. That's it. I'm sold, as are the listeners to this podcast. The people from the Irish and Sweden podcast will be there in their droves to see Seven Drunken Nights when it comes to Sweden. And you'll find all the dates and the ticket information in the show notes. Ged, I would like to honestly, uh, wish you like the best of luck there in Finland. And we'll see you when you get to these shores in the very near future, my friend. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. What a beautiful place Scandinavia is. I wasn't expecting to be this much snow, though. <laughs> <laughs> you want to check your Wikipedia. It happens this time of the year. Take care, sir. We'll see I you know. soon. <laughs> thank you now. Bye. When as I went home on a Friday night, as drunk as drunk could be, I saw a head inside the bed where my old head should be. Well, I called my wife and I said to her, will you kindly tell to me who owns that head with you on the bed? I am lucky, a lucky, a silly, a silly, a cat, a That's a baby boy that we were sent to me. Well, it's really a day ago, a hundred miles or more. But a baby boy, please, Mr. Lund, I never saw before. And as I went home on a Sunday, Sunday night, as drunk as drunk could be, I saw my wife inside the bed. And this she said to me A drop of the hard stuff. You'll hear the voice of Gay Bourne there on the Late Late Show uh, with the Dubliners playing Seven Drunken Nights. My God, when was that? That was, I think that was actually back in the 1980s or so. But uh, yeah, that's a taste of what you will get if you go to see the show Seven Drunken Nights and uh, pay attention, as I say, to the Irish in Sweden WhatsApp community and everywhere else. And I'll pop out the links to the tickets there so you can get yours. Great old crack, lads. I mean, it'd be brilliant old crack altogether to go and see that in the dark of the Swedish winter. That might keep us going there now and after that sure it's only a month to St. Patrick's Day and off we go. Listen, we're almost at the last interview of this week and that is with my good friend Brian O'Connor. I've known Brian for many, many, many years. Brian was one of the first people that I met when I came over here. And I lived out in Mashed at that time, which is out by Orlando Airport. I've said many times, uh, that's why when I say, like, you know, on this podcast, that if people can support it at patreon.com forward slash arrowman in Stockholm, that's great, right? Uh, but if you can't afford to support it, the content will always be free because I remember what it was like to be in this country and not to have a whole lot of money in the very beginning. You know, Brian was one of those people that I met and I'd played a lot of music in Ireland. I played with an awful lot of bands and I played drums, I played bass, I played guitar and a whole lot. And as you'll hear in the conversation that we have here, we're sort of reminiscing about some of the people we knew and the place as we played and how it went you know and Brian very kindly uh, took me under his wing back then there was a, an agent named John Higgins from County Cork ran a company called Blackwater Music and John had a fantastic hand in sort of just booking out Irish artists and musicians all over Sweden and Germany and Denmark God Jesus he had me playing in Estonia and everywhere you know so myself and Brian and Lucky and various different uh, Ian Maloney everybody would have been out around the place playing on that circuit you know and it was a great way to get started but Brian sort of coached me and he was telling me okay try this song try doing that song try 
doing this song this way, you know. If you're playing a slow ballad, you might want to jazz it up just a little bit to keep the crowd with you. And it was very, very helpful to me in the very beginning. And I'm delighted to say that I've known him ever since. So he was in touch with me there recently. He's been on the podcast before with his band Armadillo King. And when they released their second album last year, their third album is in the pipeline now. But he's actually into, uh, he's got a completely different album on the on the go now. And that's why we said that we would sit down and talk. So last night went down to the Liffey uh, one of the fine pubs in uh, Gamlastan here in Stockholm not as fine as Martin Hessian's Veerstrom's now I mean there's a little bit in it now because Martin's is still the best Irish pub in the world lads not just in Scandinavia and Martin has very generously sponsored this podcast uh, and supported it from the very very beginning never never once asked me to do anything never said oh would you mind mentioning this you know I almost think that the chap's embarrassed when I bring it up but he's been very generous to me as well but as it happened Brian was playing in the Liffey so that was where we ended up meeting and we said we would go down there and we'd have a little bit of a chat about music and that kind of thing and to be honest we talked we were having a bite to eat beforehand and Brian got there before me so he was eating his food and I was waiting on mine and Jesus we got like it almost felt like a like a podcast series in itself all the people we've met and the songs we've sang and the things we'd like to talk about well we sort of cut it down here and we said okay you know for a half an hour or so we'll have a little bit of a chat and that's what I'm going to bring uh, to you now uh, in the beginning you'll hear Brian talk about Dave Keery the man that he made his album with right and it's Staggers me altogether because Brian is such a brilliant musician, right? I look up to him. He's part of the reason I retired because I went, I'll just never be as good as what this fella is, right? And then to hear him talking about Dave, who, you know, he maybe rightly, maybe right, he sees an even better musician is absolutely amazing. So you can just imagine the the level or the standard or whatever that they, they're getting up to on this album. And indeed, we'll actually play out with a track from it. So this is the last that you're going to hear from me solo this week. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. I hope it's been a, a bit of a change up for those of you who aren't too mad on sport or business and that kind of thing to get the bit of the old arts and culture stuck in there and as I say if you have if you're doing any of these kind of things yourself if you're playing any gigs you know there's a few musicians now that I have on my list my hit list of people that I want to talk to in the near future so uh, yeah but do get in touch with anything that you have that you want to talk about or that you think that the community should know about sure anyway here he is the legendary Brian O'Connor on his new album together with the great Dave Key a fantastic guitar player and the story of how all that came together and quite a few other stories besides it has to be said. of the Liffey here in Gamlastan sitting here with one of the original gangsters of the Irish music scene in Sweden Brian O'Connor Brian a new album on the way but um, before we get into that how are you keeping now in, the, in this cold and dark January I'm good I'd be a liar to say it doesn't affect me but um, yeah it's fine it's uh, keeping busy it's uh, how would you say keeping on the road and keeping you know, the, the devil from the door. N- never off the road. Uh, 1995, you moved over here, right? One of the things, I moved over here four years after you. I still never got used to this darkness, that kind of thing. Does it still affect you the same that's way? The thing, that's the thing. January and February, I really try to keep as busy as possible. I, I find it, the, the month drags. I think it helps. We live in, a, live in a smaller town. We moved to knee shopping in 2007. So I think it helps that, you know, it's kind of a smaller environment. You know, town is just there, kind of a quick walk away. And I try to keep busy with the music as much as I can. There's a bit of, there's always a bit of a lull after Christmas. You know, as, as the party's over, da 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 but you know, start of a new project, January, February, you know, new possibilities, etc. etc. And at the end of February, as as the song goes, gotta get through January, gotta get through February. So it's um yeah, we do what we do, you know, rehearse, record. 
and just to entertain yourself now you have a new album coming out at the end of January early February here tell us a little bit about that because this is something that you played with for a very very long time yeah um, myself and a, a, a man called Dave Keery who um, might be recognisable to some people as the guitar player with Van Morrison um, among many other people um, we've been playing together for quite a while um, he would do his own things you know with Van and with um with the Lord of the Dance, he was with Michael Flatley for four years. Um, Jerry Lee Lewis. Um, anyway, um, so we played together once or twice a year. We played together since the mid '80s, really, in different bands and lineups. So. Let me pause you there, right? Because this is kind of like one of those things. It's very much a who you know business in the music industry. Did Dave ever come to you and say, "Look, Brian, I'm playing with Jerry Lee Lewis. I'm playing with Van Morrison. Does a fella needs a bass or that kind of thing?" No, 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 God, no, no. How no, bad are you? No, I'm telling you, no. I can, I can keep you here all night. No, um, no, it, it was never like that. No, it's it's uh, you know he's he's that quality of a player. But we we have to be playing in a band a long time ago with a, a man called Joe Brown. Legendary, unfortunately, passed away last year. Uh, Limerick country musician. So I was a late caller, and I say a late member who joined the band was say around 1989 or thereabouts. Um, previous to that, I played with with different people, you know, around Limerick scene, was a um, wedding bands, you name it. So I was definitely, and it's still am to this day, definitely way under the standard of Dave's playing. But anyway, it was a big band, a seven-piece band. Joe was. I, I could say an incredible teacher. We were immersed in the real country, the real, um, the real thing. It was, you know, it, it wasn't watered down. We were, he, he was, a, he was a teacher, definitely. George. So, so it wasn't this sort of Gareth Brooks kind of thing. No, no. And he, 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 he you know, as much as I respect all that, but he, he, he definitely avoided that. Mm. We were kind of immersed in Jerry Jeff Walker, John Prine. Um, some of the, Hank Williams, some of the old songwriters, um, and we're, Joe was a stickler for timing, which Dave would acknowledge this. <laughs> I still speed up as I as I play, but uh, but Joe was a, a, you know a strict disciplinarian for timing, and um, and he he just ran a very tight ship. Um, fantastic grounding to have. And Dave was playing with a band called Tuesday Blue at the time. I remember them. Yeah, yeah great band, yeah. absolutely powerhouse band. So they, you know, they had their own thing going, and you know, five-piece band. So then, I was playing with different bands. Dave went to live in Dublin. Uh, we'd see each other every now and again. I went to Sweden. Then he was with Lord of the Dance. We met up in Sweden. Then we decided to do a two-piece uh, thing in in or the Limerick area when we'd be home and convenient for him, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, and that sort of, I would play some of the songs that we loved, the songs that we liked. Mm-hmm. See, the, and I still tend to lean towards country or blues or roots music so does Dave in, in many ways and um, it became a thing over the years so about I'd say about two years ago we kind of discussed doing something but of course you know with Covid and with scheduling and with you know everyone kind of getting active after Covid it didn't really happen this year we spoke actively about doing something and it came together between October and November of this year and early December it came together between knee shopping in Sweden and Limerick in Ireland, Dave's own studio, with the great help of uh, Owen O'Neill, the great Owen O'Neill on bass. <coughs> Excuse me. Owen played with Moving Hearts, didn't he? And Moving Hearts, and Chris Ria, yeah. Staggerly, yeah. Um, uh, Des Lacey on drums, um, 
Damien McGeehan on fiddle, Don Brown, the great Don Brown, Joe's daughter, and James Hanley, fantastic James Hanley on keys. And we were, basically Dave was sending me guides across guide tracks. I would record a vocal, the bass and drums would go down, and then maybe a final vocal would go down. So it was back and forth due to the wonders of technology. Um, How did you find that process? Because when we grew up in the 1980s and we're playing music in Ireland, it was four tracks and they were like, Jesus, you, can, you know, you don't have to play everything live, you can overdub and then there was eight tracks and that. But now you can just send an MP3 or a WAV file across. Yeah, it, it's, it, it was um, gradually. It, I find it okay, actually. It's not that nothing beats live, playing Being live. in the same room, yeah. like, yeah. There's nothing beats live. But, I mean, due to the actual skill and the expertise of Dave and, you know, he's... I can't say enough about him. He's just, he just is an inspiration. Um, we we pulled it off, I think. You know. Um, then we had the great Peter Donnelly, Peter O'Malley, who I came across. Peter O'Malley would be his stage name. I, he's the reason I'm in Sweden. I came across on tour with him in 1985, and uh, he's an incredible artist. Uh, so he designed the cover, and uh, really, I must. Uh, we're incredibly indebted to Peter. Um, and Dave then produced the whole thing and, and got it all together with the great help of Henning Enyefiel from my side re- in recording me. We say additional recording was done by Hen- Henning Enyefiel, but the production, all the production, mixing, all Dave Keery. Is that Henning that plays with you in Armadillo King, no? The very same Henning, yeah. There you go. This is all starting to make sense to me at long last, you know. Um, how satisfying is that process? Because I've been speaking to a couple of musicians who engaged in that kind of process during COVID and that and sort of, you know, transatlantic MP3s and that kind of thing. Like you say, it's, it's a different thing to being in the same room and yet it gives you space and it gives you time. It's not like Dave is sitting across the table from you going, right, one, two, three, four. Like you actually have time to... Yeah, it, it, the funny thing, we were a little bit restricted for time this, this this time out because of Dave's commitments and uh, I was well my commitments on the road but uh, you know I had certain amount of gigs booked where I had to be in a certain place or diff- a certain country at a certain time and Dave would be the same and then you know your life gets in the way as they say you know and then actually making sure the other musicians you know were available so we were a little bit restricted that way and but we were in agreement you know, Dave basically kicked my butt to get the the track listing together. Um, one of the tracks that we included is a track called Upstream. Now, the album is called Downstream, just to make people think, I suppose. But Upstream was written by myself and Dave about 12 years ago for a movie uh, called Dirty Oil, um, which was an environmental documentary, I suppose you call it, about the, about the network of pollution from the, the big oil, we'll say, with the tar sands in Canada down to North America, etc., etc. So that became the end credit song in Dirty Oil. And that song lay kind of fallow for a while. We didn't really use it. We were given the rights to that song, rather commissioned. So we decided to use that song as... Um, to, to, there, there, was, there was always a full version, a three-verse ver, three version of that song, which we had never used. We'd use the edited version for the, the end credit song. So we decided, we'll do this. And Dave, with, through Dave's contacts, would say with Damien McGeehan, fantastic violin player, who was on tour in the States at the time. So he recorded his parts while on the road. And the whole thing, I, I think, really, the catalyst with, with Dave's... We say he's, he's played so many times with Owen and uh, with Des and uh, with James Hanley, obviously. Um, the, the magic came together in Red Door Studios in Limerick. Henning gave me such a great hand with the recording the vocals here, you know, the, 
recorded in a proper environment and with proper microphones, etc., etc. And that's the way it came about. And I think there was there was a warmth involved that would not normally be involved in in a production like that. I feel anyway. That's my opinion. Yeah. Um, the songs that you're writing now, did you write them with Dave? Are these Brian O'Connor compositions? Uh, how did you pick the songs you were going to put on this album? You mentioned, of course, that you know Upstream was written with Dave 12 yeah. years ago. Was it, okay, I'll see what I have in my bag here kind of thing? It wasn't really. You know, we decided to record actually covers, but they, they, they were songs that the people would have loved through the years through our shows with saying Dolan's of Limerick. And, and oh, yeah, I must have mentioned the, the great Mick Dolan and, and Valerie Dolan and Neil Dolan for for putting on these shows over the years. Um, so one, the, the original track, Upstream, was written... There was a, we were given a kind of a theme of, of the... Uh, a certain amount of, of um, images, of names, and we were told to write a song around that. So I came up with a, a three-verse a three verse song. We were missing a big middle eight in the middle, which was put in by Dave. And... Um, so that, that's how, and, and that's, I, I think that's how songs come together in general. Mm. My version would have been very simplistic. And Dave put the, the real, you know, or, ornate stuff on it. And um, really, you know, it, the whole middle eight where the song kind of gushes up, if you know what I mean. It's, that was all Dave Keir. It sort of climaxes around exactly. that point. Yeah. That's, that's the thing. And the orchestration was all his arrangements, all of his. Mm. So, um, yeah. So that's, that's how that came about. Um, so yeah, that was that was a that was that song was premiered in the Barbican in London twelve years ago. Kind of a funny night there, but uh, um, that, the the movie was shown. It was shown in the White House. Barack Obama happened to see it at the time. Um, so yeah, it was and it was it was kind of um, a, a documentary with a message. We call it, you know, a message to younger people. I suppose you know, anyone and anyone was was a. At the at the launch that night, the less said about that, the better. But it was a great night. You know? But um, <laughs> I wonder will Barack, will Barack Obama be getting a copy of the CD or the vinyl now when this comes out? Hopefully, anyway. But uh, <laughs> if he'd hold it up on his Instagram, we'd be delighted. If it, we, I'd be, we'd be very honoured. I can tell you, with the likes of him. But uh, yeah, it was the whole thing. I think the warmth of recording in two different places, two different countries. Yeah was achieved I think on the album Is there anything else in terms of you know if you look at the album now as a whole uh, the album's called Downstream right is there a theme like it's not a fucking concept album or that kind of thing but is there anything that you look back on the songs now and say okay this is what this is about Well if, I, I, it's a funny thing because we, we discussed Dave must have discussed that because originally the album was was uh, re- recorded about the the pollution downstream of the Athabasca Lake uh, Athaba- uh, sorry Lake Athabasca in Alberta in Canada but since we both come from Limerick, which is the estuary of the River Shannon, obviously, a sort of a flowing water theme came through the whole thing. I mean, we have um, a song called Acadian Driftwood, which is written by Robbie Robertson about the Acadian-British wars, a masterpiece, really, from, um, from a mid-'70s band album. And that there's a lot of water themology. And I, I, I don't know why, but this just came, you know, to the fore, we we'll say, you know. Um, there are a couple of other songs that mention water as well um, in it I, I, I suppose when you're born and bred and live beside water all your life you know the west coast of Ireland or east coast whatever being yourself it we're, does work to it yeah we're an island people like, so it's, it's almost that's surprising it, that's, yeah. it, that's it yeah it's an, an island thing yeah and um, so I, I think everyone at one point we were talking on the phone and we said like, it need not necessarily be an environmental album but everyone is downstream of something in life if you know what I mean yeah. so they can take their own meaning from that 
the album been called Downstream. Also, my brother, there was a documentary made about my brother, John, Dr. John O'Connor, yeah. in Canada, and that was called Downstream. So I just, have, you know, I just continued that sort of flow of yeah. things. <laughs> There's no point trying to fight it now, is it? The puns are coming. The puns are coming, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, the whole thing, it was a suggestion that we call it Downstream rather than the Upstream of the, the way the song was, you know, the, the title of the song itself. It would be easy to call it upstream, make that the title track, but we decided to fool people. <laughs> exactly. There's no, no point in doing what people expect, no, you know. No, 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 no. Take a left turn all the time, yeah. We're fully expecting Dave to listen to this, right? So um, how would you describe him as a guitar player, right? Because certain guitar players, Mark Knopfler, uh, uh, what's it, the Lad Out of the Shadows, Hank, uh, Marlon, yeah? They have a very distinctive sound. Is Dave the kind of guy who can play any sort of guitar? Does you know, What do you think of when you think of him as a guitar player? Dave is a world-class musician. He thinks, lives and breathes music and brings his own personality, which is amazing, and his own type of, his own approach to the instrument. His instrument happens to be the guitar, but he plays a few other instruments too. He started out as a drummer, as a matter of fact. He is one of the most, if not the most distinctive guitar players out there. Is he, yeah? He is, yeah. yeah. You know it's him immediately. If you hear him playing, you know it's him. I would certainly recognise his playing in my life. Absolutely world-class. And it's an honour to play with him, I could say that. Is he easy to play with? Because sometimes those really good musicians are a pain in the arse because they, it's like playing football with Henrik Larsson. They're just they're so far above us, mere mortal. He's the most empathetic player you'll ever come across. He, yeah. He's absolutely... He, he sort of grabs on a lyric, you know, musically grabs onto a lyric mm. and takes it to a different space mm. all the time. And you end up, at the end of a song, with a different picture in your head than, than at the start if you know what I mean if that makes any sense so yeah he's a, he's a painter of pictures really with, with the instrument yeah. yeah acoustic or electric yeah many years ago back in the day I'm sure you know when you were in Dolan's and Limerick and various places like you know everybody was looking to be the next U2 when we were playing music you know what are you trying to achieve now Brian when we're sort of you know the, the north side of 50 at this stage you know is it still pop stardom on top of the pops and all that kind of thing? maybe TikTok bit of viral on TikTok to be honest with TikTok no it's, it's literally a compulsion an actual we have to do it you know it's I wouldn't say a need it's a drive to do it um, I just just felt I suppose creative really you know and the, the drive to actually do it is, is there um, yeah it's I've no stardom aspirations whatsoever but it's just nice it's so nice to get these songs down and it's such a pleasure to play with these musicians and Dave and myself are just on the same mental level in terms of getting this stuff out these songs deserve to be heard you know a lot of them would be fairly obscure covers for you know the men in the street but to us they're the songs we've been playing all along and I think at the you know from the at the Dolan's gigs which were so oh, was so ingratiated to, to Mick and Val and to Neil and to all the Dolan's crew and to all the audiences have showed up over the years and these are the songs they like for example we say that another uh, water theme song would be Paradise by John Prine so we included that um, again water is, permeates the whole thing you know so no aspirations are to our souls really 
It's the best thing. And to our audience, fantastic audience out there. Yeah. Speaking of your audience, your regular audience here now, you're back on the road again now after Christmas. And how many nights a week do you play and how do you still manage it? Right, We were saying there just before we hit record that we're sleeping in slightly better hotel beds now than maybe what we were doing 30 years ago. Do you still enjoy it every night? You're going to be going on the stage here now in maybe 45, 50 minutes. Do you still look forward to it? Do you still get a bit of crack out of it every night you play? I do. It's what you make of it. And, it, you know, it's... It's really an honour to, to get up and be able to do it at this point. You know, I'm 58. I'm my 59th year. I'll be 59 in, in June. And, you know, it's a big bad word out there. You know, people, a lot of people can't do it. So I'm just grateful for the, you know, the ability to be able to go up and do it. A friend of mine um, had said to me that Paul Brady had said that, you know, every performance... You don't, you don't know who's listening and you, it could be your last performance so make it, you know, mean it, make it and mean it. And musicians over the years that have, that have impressed me are musicians and singers that actually mean it. So, I, yeah, I do actually still mean it I, and I hope that comes across. To How do you keep meaning in that though? Because I was um, Dave Brown, our mutual friend who lives in Las Vegas and plays six nights a week over there, three sets a night, and has been doing for you know he's been doing this as long as you've been doing it kind of thing. And he put out this thing uh, himself and Roy Buckley from Cork. You know they were joking on Facebook. They did a Facebook live about the stupid things that people ask you for, like song titles that they get mixed up and that kind of thing. How do you still have the patience with that? And what was the worst one you've ever experienced? Oh Jesus. Uh... You remember that one about the person coming up and asking me to play I Heard It On The Radio? I was going, can you sing it? Would, yeah, I Heard It On The Radio, there's whiskey in the jar, but would you have a fuck off? I think, I think the one, the funniest one for me was The Mountains Of Moron. <laughs> I think that's where I'm from. <laughs> and yeah, that would have been in the, in the old dub. And, but no, but people are people. I mean, we live in Sweden here. I mean, tomorrow I go to Norway. Um... So yeah, people work hard all week, you know, and you never underestimate your audience. Last night we had people just here in the same venue, people who travel quite a distance, and it really made me humble to see that they'd come quite a distance to see the gig. Mm. So you give them what you know what you can. Yeah, you give of your of yourself, you know, and make sure that they you know they're they're happy, you know. Yeah. Of course you get a Saturday night. Of course you get you know where you, you kind of go, this is a bit whatever. The next, day, the following day is a new day. You get up again and you just say, "Okay." You learn every day. If you, you could hear some other player, some young guy coming in, or some young girl coming in, and you, you'd learn something from that. You always learn something, or something a throw off, something, something, something somebody might say a throw off line. You pick up on it straight away. Um, and I'm very lucky to have a, a very strong family. My wife is uh, in the shopping. It's behind me all the way. So, and t t the absolute wonderful support of Dave Keery, you know, my partner in crime in this, um, I couldn't have better. I mean, the guy is incredible, you know. So, is there any plans now? Because I know you did the shows in Dolan's in Limerick, and there was shows I think booked here in Sweden, and then all of a sudden because of Dave's other commitments and your other commitments, they they didn't happen. Are they going to be rescheduled for yeah. some point? Actually, I think we hyped them up on the podcast, and then literally minutes after it came out, we cancelled them. I know. Yeah, it's, it was unfortunately that was the way. Yeah, they're they're there are plans afoot so we're going to get the album out here in Sweden and it will be on streaming platform before long but we wanted to get it out in physical I know a lot of people don't have CD players anymore and we, the vinyl thing at the moment wasn't an option because we were working on a certain budget but it will be on streaming platform before long and there is a mini tour mooted of, uh, of Sweden so it will be slightly different to what I'm doing right now um, 
and yeah, there's a couple of more Dolan shows coming up, and maybe a couple of more Irish shows as well coming up uh, in the near future. So, what can people expect from those shows? Is it the full band or is it just the two of you? It'll probably be the two of us um, in Sweden. And we don't. Yeah, it's a good question actually. There may be a point in the future where there will be will be a band. Maybe something has featured on the album. I don't, I'm not too sure about that. But for now, it is the two of us, and it is sort of um, condensed into that. And it's a fairly, it's an intense show. You know, it's it's a it's a very personal show. Um, you know, we make people as if it, it really is personalised to them. That's that's our attempt anyway. You know, um, and we give it our damnedest. And I, I'll tell you, it's it's it's. I think it's something to see anyway. Yeah. Hopefully it will be. Yeah. I, I was actually kind of disappointed when the shows were cancelled because I was so looking forward to seeing it, you know. But one of the things that stuck out about you, and I've said it on this podcast before, is that quiet nights sometimes in a venue, I'll see you play and you'll pull out one of those uh, John Prine songs or Robbie Roberts' songs. And as I say, I know a good bit about you. I've worked for Golden Disc for years, so I know it, but sometimes you'll surprise me. Do you ever get, you know, would you ever be nervous doing that? Because you can carry a tune, right? But you'll be sitting there with an audience that maybe doesn't know it. How does that go down when people are out for a few pints on a tourist and kind of thing. Can you get away with that, so to speak? I, I think with something like that, I kind of tend to live in the within the song, if you know what I mean. And that would be, you know, I, I try to put a message across as such, you know, lyrically or musically across. And I'd appear, I'd appear to the sensitivity. Sorry, my phone off. Appear to the sensitivity of the of the, the audience themselves. So, so you wouldn't do it like on a Friday night at half ten when everybody's up at the tables. You wouldn't go, oh, here's one I wrote when I was seventeen. No, not particularly. You you can do that. That can be done in Sweden. Still, I have done that. Um, I still do it occasionally here in the Lithuanian, um, in Malmo as well. You know, uh, in Trondheim. Yeah, I'll pull a few out in Trondheim as well. So it can be done. You know, if you have them on your side. It's a it's a wonderful thing, you know. It's a powerful thing. Um, we mentioned there, as I said, you know, half this conversation had to be off the record because we libeled both the living and the dead before we pressed record. Here, you know? um, your your circuit, if you like, is an awful lot smaller now than what it used to be. Is that fair to say? Yeah, well, it's it's not smaller in distance. It's a, the distance is still the same, but I've kind of condensed it down to the gigs that you know I'm comfortable with, and I really enjoy playing. You know, I would say the Norwegian Trondheim gig, I really enjoy it. Malmo, I really enjoy the great down in Fagans. Um, and here, the Liffey are just is, is an at-home gig. You know, whereas before, it would be three weeks tours to Finland and three weeks in Germany and, you know, God knows where else, Holland or whatever, and you wouldn't see home for... Yeah, I, I'd often leave on a Tuesday, play Lynn shopping Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday. I'd be gone to Copenhagen then till the following week and then on the way back to Germany. And that would be normal, you know, that'd be life. And you might have three days off then, you're off the road and you're kind of shaking to get back on the road. I remember John Higgins having me playing in towns in Germany I'd never even heard of. Like, I was like, what? How do you spell that? Well, I could beat that. I actually showed up in a town in Finland one time and walked into the gig and told him I was playing there that night. Played the gig, got a hotel, then went on to the following gig and I was told that, where was I last night? And I said I was in the particular town, Isalmi, actually, in Finland. I said, you were never booked there. <laughs> so I walked in and told them I was playing. So you were that famous there, you could just decide where you're playing. <laughs> I just walked in and told them I was playing. They set up a stage, got a PA system, put me up in a hotel, fed me, paid me. <laughs> oh, I, went, and I, said, I said, they're still wondering. They never had a gig there before or since. <laughs> the only gig I wrote with Jason was a cracker. 
<laughs> I was wondering what the, I I thought I saw it written on the on the the, the sheet, but I didn't. Obviously, it was, it was kind of. Yeah, no, I did that. <laughs> I turned up in Uppsala 24 hours later for a gig at one point. I think in 1999. So I won't be doing that again, you know. No, we done I done that with Gneista and uh, Kniefsta. I, I actually mistook the two. Once Same amount of letters in the name. Same letters. I want to say it very quickly, you know, but. But it, this was, or you know, rock and roll music, whatever you want to call it, was previously a young man's game. Fifty-nine years of age now, Brian. How long can this go on? Do you think? As I say, it might be, it might be a bit of a Max Bygraves, some sing along a Max. Your Vegas residency awaits. Yeah, as long as the old bones keep on keep on going, you know. I mean, yeah. the creaking at the moment, but it's fine. I mean, it's a, it, this this album and this these gigs with Dave are such an inspiration. They keep me going. They really, really keep me going. Um, yeah, and it just try to improve as best I can and with Armadillo King as well you know which is uh, again a really big project over here with a third album coming out now very soon so I mean you know with Armadillo King we got in the top 10 albums in Sweden last year you know so I mean released last year so that was that was a good accolade for Henning and for Patrick and for Matt you now the drummer you know um, so we're playing in we're playing in Tud's place actually we're playing in, in Jakob's bar in Jakobsbury on the 1st of February yeah with Armadillo King so that should be good at 7.30 so and things like that and Todd is going to gig myself and Dave out there as well so that'll be that'll be good fun it's ideal really you know it's an ideal place so when you, when you look on the cutting room floor of Red Door Studios in Limerick is there still songs there is there still stuff that you want to do with Dave or are you just concentrating on the now oh absolutely yeah there are new songs you know, coming up yeah it's snippets there have been snippets I have the, an app on the phone where I just I must look like a lunatic going home at night and I'm just singing into an app into, into you know recording my voice the next day I might remember or a chord structure or something and you know that might change or even on the road sometimes you, you I remember doing it in Copenhagen one time having a, a great song idea for a great song I woke up the next day and realised I'd written a crowded house song that I'd probably heard the previous day you know and said Oh no, I can't use that. You know, yeah. remember writing "Rebel Rebel" by David Bowie twenty-five years after the fact. <laughs> I wrote that several times. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, the, the snippets are there, and there is there is a second album bubbling under at the moment. Yeah, definitely, and that will be all original. Yeah, there's a sound check to be done here. There's a gig to be done here. But I want to ask you one last question, Brian. If somebody is listening to this and they've just moved over, they have a lovely Martin guitar somewhere, they want to get going in music. What's the one piece of advice that you wish you were given when you came here in 1994, 95 to start playing? What What do you wish that you knew then that you found out in the meantime? Yeah, learn how to book trains properly. <laughs> learn Learn how to book planes properly. Um, yeah. Just give it your own. Not to be too overly forceful with people, um, but to, to reserve your integrity. Um, keep the integrity going. You know, don't sell out. And it's it's. Um, if you don't mind me asking, what do you mean by that? Do you mean be yourself rather than try to be somebody else? Yeah. Or I think in Sweden, and you probably noticed because you've played as well here in Sweden that. that if you try to do things, you know, in earnest and to the best of your ability, people, the Swedish people, tend to sit up and notice. It, it doesn't seem to happen in different countries, but certainly in Sweden, they love the idea of one guy with an acoustic guitar. That's why you don't see so many backgrounds here, you know, or a band, a good blues band, or a good. And that's why there are so many really, really good blues and country bands here on this very street. You'd have. You know, the Martin Hessian up at Veerstrom's has them several nights exactly, a week. Yeah. Exactly, Martin. Martin is fantastic, you know, and. and uh, you know, it's the real thing. It's real Chicago blues downstairs. These guys have the equipment, they buy the equipment, but, res- you know, reserve the integrity and to anyone starting out, write, write, write music. Write, you know, th- this very minute, 
to, to write music is where it's at. There's a guy just passed this here, Arthur, Arthur Cotton, who works here, is a great songwriter. Um, but, you know, be self-editing, but don't be too critical. And get as much done as you can, record as much as you can, as fast as you can. So, you know, record labels are basically gone at the moment. But, you know, there is room for, you know, songs and soundtracks. There, you know, there is room for music. Music still exists, and there is a possibility to make money from music. You know, if you want to make a living, at least. But, you know, it's not about making money. After all these years doing all it's not about making money. It's literally, okay, it's nice to be able to make money from music. But it's a drive. It's a com- compulsion. It's like, you, you know, do you, do you paint a picture because you want me to make money from it? No. You actually paint a picture because it comes from within you. It's a, it's a self-expression thing. But to anyone starting out, write. Keep writing. I could say the same to you, Brian, because I can't wait to hear this new album with Dave. Keep writing. And uh, actually, if we might even include a track on this, if we have an MP3 I'll that we can. Right, I'll tell you what, then introduce the track. What song are you going to send me that we're going to play it with? I'm going to send you a, going to play a track called Acadian Driftwood by Robbie Robertson, which was taken from an album originally called Northern Lights, Southern Cross. And uh, this was a track that Dave suggested to me. Uh, a long time ago and he just sent me the most killer guy track and this is about this concerns the Acadian British wars in Canada Acadie Nova Scotia um, I, I can't put my finger on the year no, maybe 18th century so yeah it's a bit of a it's a bit of a long one a bit of an epic but it's yeah and the great Owen O'Neill Damien McGee and um, James Hanley Dave my god Des Lacey indebted to them all Here we are. And that is it for this week's Irish and Sweden podcast. I'll be back again with you next week. Until then, take care of yourselves. Take care of one another. Brian and the boys, take it away. Arcadian Driftwood.
stayed on to finish what they started. They never parted, they just built that way. We had King living south of the border. They're a little older and they've been around. Wrote in a letter, that's a whole lot better. So pull up your stage, children, and come on down. Blood 